the fear of learning to ride a bike. You've seen others do it, and you know you want to do the same. But the training wheels are safe. You know they're going to protect you from your fears. But there's this pull from within, a desire to step out by faith and remove those training wheels. Knowing that those very training wheels are barriers to your ultimate desire. Will you trust your father who says, you can do this. I'm right beside you. You have nothing to fear. You remove the training wheels, your source of comfort and safety. You place your life into the hands of the Father. And there's still what, what feels to be a tug of war between faith and safety. But then you decide to go all in, to by faith believe that what the Father says is true, so that you can ride freely into the life Christ has called you into. The series with Colossians 1, the preeminence of Christ, uh, and then we went into Hebrews 11 uh, the second week, and then last week uh, we were introduced to uh, this section of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and really what's so unique about this is we see the most public uh, generosity initiative uh, in the New Testament where, where Paul is, is raising funds from these churches in order to uh, support uh, the church in Jerusalem that was, that was struggling. And so he's been raising support. And last week we looked at uh, the, uh, the response of these Macedonian churches. And Paul actually describes it as an incredible movement of the grace of God. And that's how he describes their generosity. And, and as we uh, saw, these churches in Macedonia, think of like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, these churches, uh, it, it says they were going through intense, extreme poverty, and they were also facing a very specific and significant form of affliction, it says. And so Paul is saying, in spite of all of this, uh, church at Corinth, I got to tell you, I am seeing a dramatic move of the grace of God through the generosity in these churches. And, and so he described what made their giving so significant and so special. And at the end of it, he then says, and we're encouraging Titus to come back to you to complete the work that had begun with you. And, and, and so he continues in that, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses, we'll look at 7 through 9 first, and it says this. It says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Wow. So Paul, like, acknowledges this church, doesn't he? I mean, he acknowledges them in a way, man, I'd love for him to acknowledge us that way. He literally says, like, you excel in everything. Case closed, thank you, I'm out, right? 
He's like, you excel in everything. And then he lists what those things are, right? He says, in faith, describing their incredible faith in the Lord, their trust in Christ. Uh, he, he articulates their, their speech, right? Their, their ability to, uh, to articulate the doctrine, the spiritual truths, uh, and, 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 and the spiritual giftings they had of speech. He acknowledges uh, that they had an incredible knowledge for the Lord. They were able to apply the doctrine into how they not only comprehended, but applied it. There was a diligence in this church uh, describing this eagerness that they had, right? This, this spiritual passion. Uh, they, were, they were motivated and they were driven into what God had called them to. And then he highlights their love. And, and depending on your translation, he's either highlighting their love for Paul or from Paul. But he says this, essentially, since you are so outstanding in all of these areas. I now want you to excel in giving. He says, see uh, that you abound in everything. And then he says, and excel in this act of grace as well. Uh, you're doing all these incredible things, church. Let me just highlight some of them. You're doing all of these things uh, to a great degree, but don't neglect this. Bring this piece up to speed with the rest of it. When it comes to this grace, this, this generosity uh, piece. You know, sometimes in our relationship with Jesus, uh, we can de-emphasize or neglect the commands we find difficult or inconvenient. And, and not only do, do we do this as individuals, but complete churches fall into this. And, and, and how does it happen, right? Like, like how does it happen? Uh, you know, well, it, it, it's usually with, with things, uh, we, we see this happening with things that uh, I struggle with, maybe. Like, there's certain things that I struggle with, so what do I do? I de-emphasize it. I don't want to deal with it. Uh, it may be certain things that I haven't fully reconciled. Uh, I don't really know where I fully stand on it. Or it's just something I'm not really fully yet to surrender. I'm not there yet. So, so, so what happens is I, I, I start to uh, maybe neglect it, de-emphasize it. Um, it could be something that I'm just less passionate about, right? Like there's certain things that, you know, we're all wired, created differently. Uh, there's certain things that, that we're passionate about that, that we want to, that, man, we feel called to. There's other things that we don't feel as passionate about or don't feel as called uh, into, right? So it could be that, like, or, or things that we're just not as naturally drawn into. But, you know, one of the things that I've seen uh, as I've been walking through this series, just personally, uh, is I've been seeing some areas in my life that God has brought to the surface that are areas that I've been de-emphasizing or neglecting. And as I wrestled through that, I was like, man, how, how does this happen in our lives? Because like I said, it happens to us individually. And then it also happens corporately as a church. And I think what it comes back to is it's birthed out of how we're studying, how we're preaching, and how we're praying. See, when, when we study more and more, and you guys, we are so blessed. There is more at your fingertips to study 
and to get uh, just by clicking uh, incredible study resources, uh, all, all kinds of things that, that you can get. But one of the things that has happened as a result of that is we get to, we get to pick what we want to hear. We get to pick what we want to study. And so what happens is I start to only study and buy the studies and go into studying the things that either I want or the things that I think I need. Now, here's the challenge with that. <laughs> There's a lot that I need that I don't think I need, right? And, and, you know, and there's a lot that I should want that I don't know I should want. But what happens is I'm, I, I'm consumed with me, right? I mean, that's just how we naturally think. We make ourselves bigger than everything else. And so naturally, if I'm going to go into a study, I'm thinking, oh, what do I really want, right? Well, man, I, I want this topic and that. But the problem is when I do that, and I don't let the word of God drive that, but I let me drive that is I start to read only what I want to read and study. And what happens is that creates major holes, major gaps to where I may actually be excelling in a lot of things. And yet at the same time, just as this church neglecting something very key, something uh, that, that God wants to do uh, amazing in and through uh, my life, right? And so we can see that in, in how we study. Uh, we see that in, in even how we preach, right? Like uh, it, it's amazing how, and I guess I'm talking to myself here, but you know, you have to listen to me. So here it is. Like, it's amazing how we can start to preach in a way that emphasizes certain things and also de-emphasizes other things as well. Right, I could highlight the, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, and everybody go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and totally not mention repentance. Because nobody wants to repent, but everybody wants to grace, right? Uh, and, and so you can start to preach in that way, right? You can start to preach in a way that is a prosperity gospel, right? You do this, God will do that, right? Uh, if you have more faith, this will happen in your life. And it's all going to work out and those things. And so if we're not careful, and that's one of the things I actually like about our church. Like, I don't have the ability really to do that because we, most of the time, go through books of the Bible verse by verse. And it confronts you, right, with things you definitely don't, at least me, don't want to preach on. The end of Judges, I would not preach on that my entire life if it wasn't for this church. <laughs> Ever. Like, No. You know, and, 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 but it forces me to address uncomfortable things that are there that God wants to work through, even though I don't really want to. And I need that, right? I need that. The other area we see it is in our prayer time, isn't it? You guys, our, our prayer time, that is the most intimate time you have with the Lord, isn't it? where you go to him and you're real with him and you're crying out for these things, you're praying, uh, you're, you're, you're asking for him to speak, you're trying to, you're trying to listen, you're just trying to hear from the Lord, you're trying to grow that relationship. But I, I found the same thing happening in my prayer requests and what I go to the Lord with. I start bringing to him the things I want to bring to him. I start asking him to speak into things that I want him to speak into. But also at the same time, I'm not bringing him into things that I don't want to hear from him on. 
I would venture to say that um, there's certain things that, that I would just say, well, God, that's not a priority. Let's maximize our time together. Or, and this is where it gets really rough. There's certain things, let's just have a moment of full transparency. There's certain things I don't want to know what he has to say about. Right? Or, there's certain things that I know I'm doing that are wrong. And so my prayer time doesn't even touch that. My prayer time doesn't even act like that's for real. And yet there is a very real piece of my life that is not pleasing to the Lord. And yet for whatever reason, I think in my conversation with God, we can still grow in our relationship, but I can still have this. And, and, and Paul is just like, no. I mean, guys, have you ever avoided asking someone something because you knew you wouldn't like their response, right? I mean, sure, all of us, right? Um, my, my kids are at that age where they're learning how to get what they want. And uh, it's a fascinating age. And, and I've shared about it before, but one of the things that they've uh, realized and figured out is different strategies and tactics in order to get that. And so one of the strategies that they've been doing more and more, and I'll be honest, their success rate has been pretty solid, uh, <laughs> is, is <laughs> my wife will tell them no, or that they need to do something else. I didn't know that conversation happened. <laughs> I come home, and listen, when I come home, I'm just going to be honest, I just want to be the yes guy. I just want universal love and I, I get all that. Like, I just, whoa, kids, yay. And, and you want that? Yes, yes. And, uh, and so they've realized that's their time. Like, that's their time. You know, and, and, and it happened the other day where, uh, you know, I was kind of, you know, uh, cough guard, but uh, the kids were asking me, you know, about eating. And, and I was like, yeah, go, go eat, you know. And my wife comes into the room and you know, I'm laying there or whatever, I don't remember. And she just said, hey, why are they eating? And I went, well, they were hungry. Uh, and, and she said, they're not supposed to be eating right now. I already told them they could not eat. They had to do that. And I went, yeah, they got me again, right? Like, ah. <laughs> like they knew, they knew, right? And, and, <laughs> And, and so they're like challenging this, like, you know, and, and I'm like, you're going after us at the top. You're trying to get mom and dad. I see what's going on. But how often do I have a desired outcome that I want from the Lord? And that's the focus, is, is that. And, and all too often, what happens is I either want him to affirm something that I'm doing or I want him to respond in a way that only answers what I want him to answer. And, and what happens there is this very unhealthy pattern starts to take place. Is I start to have things that I'm emphasizing 
and, and, and only bringing those to the Lord, only allowing him to speak into that, only allowing him to deal with that. But then I'm also harboring different things that I'm refusing to allow him to speak into. And there's a variety of reasons, right? Like, like for some of us, it's literally, I, I, I don't want to hear what he has to say with that. Others of us, it, it literally is. Like, I know I'm wrong. I've had multiple people come up to me and just say, Steve, I got to tell you something. I've known this is wrong. I've known. But I was just refusing to allow the Lord to speak into it. And I'll just say, man, thank you. Thank you. Like, the Lord is so proud of you for allowing him full access. And so that is what Paul is challenging them with. And, and it's the same challenge for us. Are there areas in my relationship with Jesus uh, that I need to reemphasize or I need to make a priority again? Are there areas that I'm, I'm just holding them off? Uh, because you guys, what we see all throughout scripture is this picture of spiritual health, uh, in particular, the spiritual giftings in the New Testament, right? It's, a, it's the picture of a body that's fully functioning, Right, it's not the picture of a body with this and not that. No, it's it's coming together collectively in harmony, working together. And what Paul's challenging this church is: I'm seeing this and this, but then I'm seeing this. You need to bring this up so there's harmony with the incredible giftings and the calling that God has called you into. Church, get this act of grace up on par with everything uh, else. And and you know what's inspiring about this is by Paul saying, do this, he's also saying, you can do this. He's actually, by by calling them into it, he's saying, no, 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 just as you're excelling in these things, you can also excel in this. I believe it, church. And so he's also inspiring them uh, to move uh, forward in that. And, And so he's also very careful in verse eight to, to distinguish that he's not commanding them to do this. You notice that? Like Paul isn't like inserting this apostleship authority and saying, you're going to do this or else, right? He's being very clear that he's not commanding them to do this. He's just simply contrasting what he's experienced between the attitude uh, of the Macedonians than that of the Corinthians when it comes to their response in generosity that demonstrated as he goes into the genuineness of their love for Christ and his cause. He says they were following the example of Jesus. And so he's like, I'm asking you guys, I'm not demanding, I'm just asking that you go to the Lord and prove your love by sharing in this offering as well. He says, as I've told you this story, you guys are overwhelmed by the authenticity of their love for the Lord through their generosity. Prove that as well demonstrate that, show that in your own life. Prove that your love is genuine. You guys, uh, one of the things about uh, love throughout scripture is you see love and generosity always being connected. And, 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 And not only as a way to demonstrate a love for other people, but also as a demonstration of my love for the Lord. It demonstrated, we see it demonstrating the genuineness of saving faith, right? Like uh, one of the classic examples is 
uh, is that character Zacchaeus in the New Testament, right? In, in Luke chapter 19, uh, there's, there's this tax collector. Nobody liked tax collectors. I mean, what you want to talk about money? Tax collectors were the worst. They frauded they, their people. They stole from their people uh, to make themselves wealthy. Uh, they represented Rome. They were everything evil when it comes to money. And they had a ton of it. And this short fella, Zacchaeus, uh, is intrigued right? Jesus is coming to their town. He's walking through. Jesus at that time was the greatest show, right? And, and so he had all these rumors about him. There's these miracles that people are saying they've seen. Uh, his teaching is completely different. So Zacchaeus climbs up into this tree. He wants to see the Lord. And, and Jesus comes to that tree says, hey, you get down here, come into your house for lunch. Right? And so he goes over to Zacchaeus' house. He shares with him the truth. Zacchaeus ends up responding. But look at what it says in Luke 19, 8 through 10. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save uh, the lost. Jesus is like, genuine salvation has occurred because this guy, whose God clearly is money uh, and, and, and lives uh, in order to just accrue as much, as much as possible and hold on to it. He is ready to not only part with his money, but to reconcile himself to all these people that he's wronged with it. Salvation has come. He's demonstrating the genuineness of his love for the Lord. And over and over again, we see uh, how people would respond to Jesus. Uh, you know, it's like, well, how do you respond to someone who can do anything? And they, they would just respond in generosity, right? And in Mark uh, 14, I've alluded to this story, but it's such a powerful story, not only because of what this woman does, but then the response of those around. But in Mark 14, 3, uh, it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, it says. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Ooh. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Huh. But Jesus stepped in, probably upset, and says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Just this powerful, powerful scene, isn't it? And I love the response of the uh, apostles and, and, and those there, right? Like there would have been a much wiser financial move that she could have made that would have blessed the poor, Jesus, right? And yet she comes in and she's, Jesus, you are my first, you are my best, you are my everything. I have this. And we don't know if she had anything else, but she breaks that. She dumps it over Jesus. She is anointing Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, this is the picture. Everywhere the gospel is taught, they're gonna talk about her. But we also see this genuineness being demonstrated through generosity. We see it 
also revealing what wasn't genuine, doesn't it? When we look at, even in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, in Mark chapter 10, 21, this, this very, very impressive uh, spiritual leader comes before the Lord and, 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 he's, and he's literally asking like, hey, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? I wanna, I wanna follow you, all this. And, 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 and he's like checked every single box, right? And, and, and he's impressive. The disciples know he's impressive. Everybody knows he's uh, so impressive. And, and then in Mark 10, 21, it says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. I love how it says, looking at him, Jesus loved him, said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible with God. So it just... God revealing. And, and what is he revealing? He's not saying, Jesus is not saying wealth, money. He's not saying they're bad. He's not saying that. He's, he's, he's bringing to light the reality that somebody who is super spiritual, super impressive on paper, has this one area that has a unique hold of his heart and his life. And ultimately that one area, as Jesus has just touched on it, is the one area that he is saying, I want everything, but uh, no. Internally, he wants to follow Jesus. He knows he needs to. He has a desire. He asks Jesus. And yet this one thing has such a hold over his heart and his life. And that's why Jesus turns to his disciples and says, listen, money, money isn't bad. Wealth isn't bad, but you just need to know it like nothing else can grab hold of your heart, your mind, your family, your business and everything and take complete control. And you need to guard against that if I'm going to be your first and your best. And so he's warning them. And, and so, you know, last week I talked about, you know, sacrificial giving being one of the demonstrations of their faith. But today what he's addressing here is how sacrificial giving demonstrates a genuineness to our faith. And why? Because generosity and money are tied to our hearts in such a unique way, right? I mean, Matthew 6, verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in later in 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He says, you can't. So he's warning them. I love how in one of these interactions, Peter, you know, Peter, Mr. Mr. Like no filter, 
<laughs> responds, Jesus, I've left everything for you. Right? And, you know, and Jesus probably shaking his head. It's like, there, there you are, Peter. But, I, you know, when we think about this and this calling and how that can have a pull on us and how it can actually lead us and then compete with our Lord and Savior. And here's what's crazy about it. It does not care if you have wealth or you don't. I want to be clear on that. I have spent time with people who had no money and they were absolutely consumed with it. Right? And I, I've spent time with people that were incredibly wealthy and you would never know it. And, 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 so, and so it's not like it's just, oh, if you are, like, no, like we see wealthy people, we see people that didn't have all following Jesus, but he's just warning us uh, about this. And then he uses the greatest example, right? Uh, he uses Jesus as his example. You guys, Jesus led the way in generosity. He led the way. Okay, like, like we see Jesus owns everything. He has all power, authority, sovereignty, glory, honor, majesty. We go on and on and on, right? And yet it says what? He became poor. He became poor. Now, what is it referencing, right? It's referencing the incarnation. Jesus entered humanity as a, as a little baby, uh, taking on human flesh, which, yeah, and and then goes in and, and enters humanity as, as a human being in this low-income, young family, growing up in this despised location, and he goes through all of that to then ultimately die a common criminal's death. Why? So that you and I could be rich. Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 8, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. He did all of that so that you and I could become rich. How are we rich? We become spiritually rich through that incredible sacrifice. We are rich in salvation, in forgiveness, in joy, in peace, in glory, in honor, in majesty. We become joint heirs with Christ. Like, I don't know what it's looking like, you know, the wealth chain being passed on to you. But I'll tell you right now, it does not matter. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a joint heir with Christ. That's what's coming. In, in, in Romans 8, 17, right? And if children, it says, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Absolutely unbelievable. So, so Jesus became poor so that you and I could be rich. He leads in this incredible way in his generosity towards us. And if that is true, if I say I believe that, then my greatest joy and declaration would be to say, Jesus, you have all of me and all that I have. Right? How do I respond differently? I mean, Philippians 2, 5, it kicks off by saying, have this same mind. Have the same mindset. It's Christ. 
And then, and then he continues uh, in verses 10 through 15. It says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I, did, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written. And then he quotes Exodus 16, 18. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. So, so Paul's saying like, hey, you've wanted to give. You'd even a year ago begun to do it. And so what he's challenging them to here is be consistent. Follow through with what you started. Finish what you began a year ago. He says it would be to your advantage. It will prove the sincerity. It will prove your consistency and faithfulness to the calling. You're going to be blessed by finishing this calling that the Lord already introduced into your heart in your life. And so whatever reason for their delay, Paul tells them that they need to be willing to finish uh, what they already had a readiness to do and a willingness to do. He says, finish what you started. You guys, uh, sometimes we get confused willingness with doing, Right? And, and, and so sometimes we get super excited before the Lord. We're inspired. We have this emotional high. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we've even like negotiated with God. God, if you do this, I'll do that. Right? God, you make this happen. I'll become a pastor. Like, I just will. I don't know what that means, but I will. Like, you know, or, or I'll do, right? We negotiate. That's not how I became a pastor. I just want to be clear. But uh, or we're big problems, right? Uh, by faith. So... <laughs> But we'll do this, right, with the Lord. And ultimately, what we see here, you guys, is when you're evaluating a race that someone's ran, like let's say a long-distance race, like you want to know how they finished, right? We want to know what the finish was like. That's how we gauge success of something, isn't it? Like we typically look at how the finish was. And so, and so he's saying, you started, you, you were committed, but how are you right now at finishing? And, and what he highlights here is he says, listen, do it according to your ability as to what you have. And I, and I think one of the issues they were wrestling with is they were delaying giving likely because they believed in the future they would have more to give. And so what he's addressing here is it's not like this evil heart, right? They'd already started, but maybe in their minds, they're like, hey, later on, maybe they got this shipment coming in or whatever. Like, we're gonna be able to give more later. So let's wait for that. And what Paul is saying, like, no, like the Lord is moving right now. He's already called you into this. You're ready. Uh, you're willing. And he is only concerned with your heart. He is not hung up on the amount. He's hung up on your heart. That's all he wants to see is for you to respond uh, from a willing and excited posture from your heart. Your heart has to be the driver. If it's not your heart, it's about a number. It's about something else. And what he's telling the church is, uh, yeah, you may have more later, but, but God right now 
is moving and calling you and trust him. Trust him. And what you have, not what you don't have. He's just looking at your heart. You guys, uh, last Sunday night, I shared about 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. And I talked about how David rallies everybody together to, into this incredible vision that God had given him to build a temple, a home for the Lord. And ultimately, God gives him this vision, but then he's unable to uh, see it through. It's going to be his son that does it. And so David rallies the nation around this cause. And one of the things that just stands out when you read First uh, Chronicles 29, uh, in verse 17, it tells us what made this so special. Because David has just, uh, one, he's modeled this generosity. He's, he's, he's like emptied out uh, a ton of the funds of the nation and then even of his personal accounts. And then the leaders have come forward, the people are responding. And this is what he says in First Chronicles 29, 17. He says, I know my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. I love that. David's not highlighting, hey, he's highlighting the movement that's happened in his own heart and the movement that he's seen happen in the people's hearts. As they, as they, as they gave, just willingly, joyfully, uh, excited to be a part about what the Lord was uh, leading them into. And so Paul is, is challenging these Corinthians to give in that posture, to give uh, from what they have instead of focusing on what they don't. And he's, and he's also saying, listen, the goal of this isn't that you, got, you guys become this financially poor church. He's like, the, the goal isn't that you give and then they don't have any issues in Jerusalem now and now you're completely burdened. He goes, no, that's not the, the reality here. What he's responding to and asking them to give towards is something that he says, hey, you could be in their shoes. Right now, you're the ones who are blessed. You're blessed to be able to give to them. They're the ones in need. But guess what? It could be flipped around really quickly and then you're in need in some way and, 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 and God may lead them then to respond that. And this is how he works. He works. He's, he's got his body of believers all set up, already positioned to where he knows the needs, to whatever he's called, uh, those that, 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 are, that are in a better spot to be able to give. He, he's already got it positioned, right? And it's an incredible thing where, where God moves and at different times you're going to be in need. Someone else is going to be called to bless you. And at other times they're going to be in need and you're in a position where you get to bless them. That is the beauty of the fingerprints of God. He, he, he provides for his church. Next week, we're going to be talking about that in an amazing way. But you guys, he takes care of us in that. And so Paul's highlighting, he's going to take care of you. And then Paul references, uh, you know, what God did supernaturally in Exodus 16 with, with providing manna. Uh, if you recall from the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel, they weren't in the promised land yet, and they're out wandering in the desert because of their own issues, there's other ways to word it. Uh, and, and God supernaturally provides food for them. <laughs> oh, he's so good. He's like, yeah, you're gonna go back in the desert because you don't figure it out yet. But I'm also gonna continue to supply you with the supernatural food, this manna that they complain about, but still. And, and so he's provided this manna. And what was so uh, awesome about it is everybody was able to pick up the manna that would supply them for the day. And anybody that tried to hoard the manna for themselves, God supernaturally had a way where it would stink and 
and it would turn like sour. It would be awful. And so he, he literally made it like so that everybody was taken care of and that nobody could hoard his blessings and his gifts, right? And what he was doing was just providing us a way and saying, hey, uh, look, at, look at how I'm leading in this. I'm gonna take care of you uh, for that. And, and, and so Paul is just highlighting as an illustration how the Lord takes care of us and how the Lord also pre, pre, provides guardrails for us. Sometimes God calls us to give just to protect us from hoarding because he just knows these things can become a stronghold in your life. So for us today, the question, what area or areas have you been avoiding with the Lord? Or maybe de-emphasizing. And maybe before the Lord, you're, you're looking at all of these other criterias or these other giftings that you have that are operating. And you're like, look at this, look at this, look at this, God, I am. But, but then he's right now maybe just saying, but look at that. Look at that. Where's that at? Are you going to deal with that thing there? So what is that area that I'm not going to the Lord with? What is that area I'm avoiding what scripture has to say about it? What is that area that I don't want to talk about. And then Jesus led the way in generosity. How am I following him in a way that reflects a genuine relationship with him? How am I following that example, right? I'm called to have that, that mindset and that heart and it's not this, oh, I'm guilted into this. I'm shamed into doing this. I'm manipulated into doing this. Like you guys, next week when we invite people to commit, that's not at all what's gonna happen. And he's not saying that's what he's asking for here, but, but he's saying, look to Christ, have the same mindset of Christ. And he's, if he's transformed your life, this should be a natural response to it. So what is holding me back? And then lastly, will we determine as individuals and as a church, will we determine to finish what the Lord has placed on our hearts to begin. Guys, we can be some of uh, the most excited and driven people to a cause, uh, to a pursuit, to a, a building, whatever it may be, a mission, an organization. And yet so often we can be the worst at following through the worst at finishing. And so my, my, my prayer, I, I feel like more and more has been focused on finishing well. Not because I, I believe that my time is up here or just in life, but I just find more and more as I read and study scripture that I need to have the finish in mind today. And that, and that I, I need to look back and I need to look at whether it's journaled or whether it was a moment with the Lord where he placed this calling on my life and, and I responded to it. And I'm like, all right, God, we're going to get that. We're going to do that. But then for whatever reason, life just kind of squeezed it out and it's no longer there. It's no longer a priority. In fact, I can barely even remember what that was like. And maybe the Lord is like, finish, finish what I've begun in you. Finish what, I, what I've started. 
Like, like he's, he's given some of us in this room incredible visions of what could be. Uh, he's placed an incredible vision on our church. I mean, so many of us are praying over this by faith commitment uh, as we think of like what God is leading us to in this facility. And, and, and my prayer is that, that we wouldn't have this awesome excitement over that, but we would ask God, what does it look like to finish your work? And man, I, man, I, I almost got emotional this morning. I was uh, so last Sunday night, we had these boards out for people to write prayer requests. And, and, and so, some people were writing prayer requests. Some people were writing, I mean, very vulnerable things to the Lord. Some were writing names. Some were writing these desires. Some, I, it was incredible. And just happenstance, coincidentally, those boards were placed right outside my office. So as I've been studying, I'm walking out to those boards. And this morning before I came here, I just started reading one. I started looking at the names, the things that people, you, put that the Lord was leading you into, he's challenging you in, what he was saying, what you want to see happen. I saw my own writing. And I was just confronted with that. Are we going to be the excited prayer walk church or what we've gone to the Lord with and what we believe he's leading us into missionally as a church, as individuals collectively, because it's going to look so different for so many of us. Am I determined to see this to fruition? And like I said, don't constrain it to a church. Your life has incredible value and purpose before the Lord. And he wants to do something with it. And guys, I just, I just got to challenge us this morning, just as I was challenged. It's so easy to fall into the trap that they were falling into and look at the, the, the incredible areas that I am doing great for the Lord, that I am surrendered to the Lord in. And it's so easy to then de-emphasize or neglect the things that are there as well, but I just don't want to deal with it. And so I'm going to ask right now, let's just go to the Lord during this time. Let's pray to him. Let's go to him. Let's bring those things to him. And let's ask God, whether it's a surrender that you need to do or whether it's a reawakening, I pray that that happens.